Mindfulness Mode 258. When you are in that moment, there is a sense of panic that comes over people. And I see it all the time where now what happens is people start running around like a chicken with their head cut off. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us. If this is your first time, great to have you with us here on Mindfulness Mode. Have you ever worked in a project where you felt like you just were not getting anywhere? I mean, maybe you thought, you know, if I could just go check into a hotel somewhere and just think about nothing except this project, then I could get it done. Well, I mean, that sounds like a great idea, but some of us are inspired by having other people around us. And when we don't have that energy, it is kind of difficult to work. On my last episode, I featured a person who's made this possible, what I'm describing. You can become a digital nomad in a sort of temporary way for only 12 days. Just head to Thailand, On October 26th, it starts. Spend 12 days at The Entrepreneur House with Chris Reynolds. Learn all about it on my last episode, mindfulnessmode.com slash 257. My good friend Jay Wong is mentoring those people whose project is a podcast. They want to start a podcast, but well, maybe that's that's you. You're not sure where to start. You're not sure how to do it. Jay is amazing. In fact, he's brilliant. He's inspiring to podcasters just getting started. He has a few openings in his new class. And if you want to get your voice out there, starting a podcast may be the perfect way to do it. Jay will help you become an authority in whatever field it is, whatever your area of interest is, you will fast track you right to where you want to be. Jay's training is the proven launch formula to build a top rated podcast in 60 days. So check it out at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash Jay, J-A-Y, to learn more about that. Today, I'm talking about the legal side to elder care and you may have a project of helping your parents or grandparents or helping someone who has some challenges and today I'm featuring a very passionate elder attorney she talks about her own struggles in her family and how that moved her to help others she wants to make sure you have every possible legal step in place to make sure there are no family nightmares like what she experienced so sit back and learn about the mindfulness and the legal aspect to elder care with my guest Nicole Whip. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I am really pleased to have a fascinating guest with me today, Nicole Whip. Nicole, are you in mindfulness mode today? I sure am. That's great, Nicole. Nicole Whip is a lawyer who specializes in elder law. She's a professional planner on a mission to empower people of all stages of life to take control of two major issues health details, and end-of-life arrangements. She's a speaker who addresses the legal aspects of these topics, and she's also author of the book, Dear Mom and Dad, Help Me Help You. 
Nicole has survived being diagnosed with a rare, debilitating disease. That was an experience that changed her life in the way she views life and death. She has so much to share with us, and I'm very, very pleased to have you with us, Nicole. So, Nicole, what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, for me, mindfulness is really about intentionality. So what I mean by that is um, it's about really setting my intention for who I am, who I'm showing up as, who I want to be, who I want to be as a wife, as a mother, as a leader of my team, to my clients. And so um, I use the concept of mindfulness as a path to intentionality and to really ground myself in, in all of those things. Wow. Well, you've really done a lot to help people, and especially in this area of elder care. Now, I know when you were growing up, you uh, you never dreamt that you would end up in this area of elder care. But tell us what it was like every Sunday afternoon when you got together with your family and, and you just enjoyed your time. What was that like? Well, when I was a child, I, I had a really close family. And my family was like when I look back on it now, it was an experience that I know that most people really don't seem to have. Um, you know, we got together every single Sunday and we'd all go to church. And then after church, we'd all have breakfast together. And then it would sort of turn into this day long thing. And when I say my whole family, I mean, my entire family, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, all the cousins. And so it was, um, just a wonderful kind of experience as a child to have that closeness of my family. And how did that change as the years went by? What happened? Well, um, really the defining moment for that was my grandfather's death because my grandmother passed away before my grandfather. So okay. um, she passed away quite a, quite a long time before he did. And so, you know, my grandfather, after she passed away, our family life really revolved around my grandfather. And then when he passed away, things really changed. And it was hard for me because um, when my grandfather passed away, I was actually living with him at the time. And then he was gone. And then my family changed. And the way that it changed was that, um, you know, we didn't have that anchor holding us together anymore. Um, and so things started to change on that front. But then also what my grandparents really wanted in terms of their death wishes started to become a real issue for my family. Um, and people were having serious disagreements about that. And that really changed my family. And so was that because your grandparents didn't make it completely clear what their wishes were? I know they had a will, but you say in your book, you know, some people have a will, but they don't really have a plan. So can you explain that? Yeah. So, you know, um, without getting into the, the legal aspects of wills, I will tell you this that a will certainly is not enough for almost anybody. And um, my grandparents, they tried to do the right thing. You know, mm -hmm. they went to a lawyer, they got their legal documents drawn up. They did what so many people do um, that are trying to do the right thing, but it really wasn't enough because you're right. They didn't have a plan. Like they didn't set out really what they wanted to really happen and how they wanted it to go down. And what they did was they trusted their children to make good choices on their own. Now, this is something that in my legal experience happens all the time, that people are wanting to say, well, my kids are smart and they're um, 
adults and, and they know what we want and they know the right things to do because we raise them to be those people. And I have good kids. Like this is something that I hear all the time sure. my, as a lawyer. And certainly my grandparents felt that way, but, um, they shouldn't have trusted their kids because their kids are human beings and they had disagreements and they were honest disagreements. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to put any bad intentions on any of my family members, although I don't agree with some of the things that happened. Um, but they, my, you know, people had disagreements about what it is my grandparents actually wanted. And this is certainly something that can be true. We make assumptions about what other people think all the time. It gets part of us as human condition is our sure. assumptions about other people's way of thinking. And that's one thing that you don't want to do is assume what anybody thinks, no. which was what your children, adult children think, um, or any, uh, anything like that. So that's one of the things I think is a very common mistake. And my grandparents made it and, and it was to my family's detriment. So if your grandfather was still living and you could sit down with him and talk with him about his plans, what would you say to him? Well, I would take him through sort of a process to think it through much more in depth um, about what he wanted to have happen and what would happen if people didn't do the things that he wanted them to have have to do. Because that's another thing, too, is we want to set sort of the intention for what needs to happen and then also the intention for what needs to happen if it, if it doesn't happen the way we want it to happen. Right. So a great example of this is a simple example of this might be, you know, if... Um, like, let's say that, you know, the house is a big deal for a lot of people. Right. So let's say you say, I'm going to let my one child have the house as a share of the estate against their share. But what if they don't take it? And how are they going to, how are we going to determine the market value? And and then if they don't want it, then what happens next? And what's the time frame in which this decision needs to be made? Um, these are all really important questions that a lot of people just don't get into. And, you know, if you can let somebody drag it out for a year and a half, or you can say you have 60 days. Um, but if you let them drag it out for a year and a half and you haven't set the intention that that was what you wanted, then that's going to cause hard feelings among the other family members. So it's really about specificity and um, really being clear about what needs to, needs to happen. Problem is, is that most people don't have the right framework to think these things through. Right. I see. And so I know one of the aspects is about health and there are so many things that can happen to your health. So how do you approach that topic? Oh, well, okay. So certainly this, this is probably the most important thing to me as an elder law attorney um, is, you know, if you think about planning as what happens when you die, right? Yeah. That's what most people think about, right? Right. And so that's fine. But I always tell people that's actually the easy part, even though my experience with my family um, was negative, And I know that it is for a lot of people. The reality is, is what happens when you die is the easy part. The really more important question is what happens if you live and have a health crisis or need care, which I just challenge anybody to step back and think about this because the reality of the matter is we live in this era of modern medicine and modern medicine today tells us that we can live longer, but it does not tell us that we can live better. No, no. And so when I say health crisis, what I'm telling all of you isn't like something that happened to me where I like got diagnosed with this crazy lung disease and I was out of commission and all of this. Like that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the normal aging process of the body mm -hmm. that will 
make it where you are in some level of incapacity during your life, it's inevitable for almost everybody. And what that looks like and what needs to happen during that time frame and how are you going to actually get the care that you need and all of these things are things that we don't think about. So even if you're too young to be thinking about it from yourself, like a lot of your probably audiences, one of the things is how, what does that look like for your parents? Right. Which is, I'm sure a concern for many of your audience. Like you have to look at your own parents and say, what is going to happen to my mom or dad if they no longer can really take care of themselves? How, what is that going to look like? And how are we as a family going to manage that? Right. That's where the book came from. Dear mom and dad is like, how can we, manage that together. But the problem is, is that um, families don't think this through until it's a, a period of crisis when stuff is happening. And now we're just reactive instead of proactive. Right. Yeah. And it's very difficult to sit down and talk about that because you don't really know where to start sometimes, I think. And, it's, right. and, and in your book, you lay it out so that we know where to start. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's really intended to be a sort of a guide of like all the things that you need to be thinking about and, you know, how to how to start that conversation and the things that you need to be talking about and the things that you need to be considering, which in my experience, the things that you need to be considering are things that you have no idea you even need to consider. Right. And so it's like what you don't know is what hurts you. Yes. Um, and I'll just tell all of you that if this is something that you've never thought about before, the thing that um, you really need to understand is that in the world that we live in today, the cost of care is astronomically expensive and almost no American family can actually afford it or, or wants to afford it. That's another thing, wants to afford it. And so the reality is, is that adult children quit their jobs to take care of their parents, um, which is a bad financial mistake for them to be doing. Um, people do all kinds of crazy things when they're not thinking through about what happens to my mom and dad when they need help. And so you need to know what you don't know and you need to actually think about it and you need to talk about it as a family. Right, right. You need to sit down with your parents, with your brothers, with your sisters and and just talk through this whole topic. And, right. and, and you have to have a guideline as to where you're going with all this, all the possibilities that could happen. What are we going to do? Is that, is that basically true? Yeah. And so that's really um, with, you know, what we do in, in our office and what many elder law attorneys are doing is we're actually guiding our clients through those kinds of topics. Right. And um, in, a, in a way that's structured around the legal scenario, which is a big deal. And what we're really talking about is being mindful as we talk about these topics and being present and, and just being calm and focused and grounded. How do we do that? How do we stay grounded as we talk about such serious topics that can be really scary and, and vulnerable? Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, is that um, my practice is largely composed of professional people that, um, you know, that we're talking engineers and, you know, doctors and lawyers and um, people that have had a whole career of working. And, you know, so my, my clients are very, um, I'd say, normal people in the fact that they've worked their whole lives, but they're smart people. They know what they're doing. But the thing is this, the, when you're faced with these topics and you haven't thought them through, 
and you're starting to realize all of the issues that you've never put a second of um, thought toward that you now have to make immediate decisions about, when you are in that moment, there is a sense of panic that comes over people. And I see it all the time where now what happens is people start running around like a chicken with their head cut off and reacting to the situation. And this actually leads to very bad decisions being made um, because you don't understand all of the options in front of you and you're just doing the best that you can in your panicked mode, but you're not really making the right decisions for your family because you don't know what your options are. So this is what we see all the time. And so it doesn't matter how smart you are. If this isn't the context of your experience, you don't know what you don't know. And right. so it's like um, really taking a step back and being able to say, okay, I'm the type of person that doesn't want things to happen to me. Right. I, I want to take control of my life and my family and my situation. So I'm big about control. And that's what this is all about. Right. And uh, speaking of reevaluating your situation, when your son was born, I know you talked about this in your book, you reevaluated your situation and made some major changes. Tell us about that. Yeah. So when my son was born, I had struggled to become a mother. Like that wasn't something that would have been easy for me. In fact, I had been told that I would never have children. And so, and that was heartbreaking to me when I was told it, but I, um, I just didn't believe it. I didn't, I didn't want to believe it and I didn't believe it. And then of course I had my son. So I was right. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Um, But you know, that was something that was very important to me and I wanted to be a mother. And so when my son was born, I had a very, um, you know, I had a very lucrative law practice before he was born. um, And yet I was very busy. I mean, my time you know, if anybody knows a lawyer knows about lawyers, you know, one of the things you hear all the time is that how much they work. Yes. And so I had to take a step back and say, is that really what I want as a mother to be the kind of mother that is just never home? Mm-hmm. And the answer, of course, was no. And so I had to completely change the way I did business. And I did. In fact, that was in so many levels, the absolutely best thing that I've ever done, because by changing all of those things, I have created a whole different type of life that is a much more mentally and emotionally healthy life. And have you learned from your son? Have you learned to be present and to just enjoy every single moment? Well, I struggle with it. So that's my honest answer. You know, I'm still a very achievement oriented person, um, which can lead you in a mindful sense um, astray, you know, that you can be focused on, the the horizon so much that you forget to live in the now um but but his existence sort of reminds me on a daily basis to move back into today and to remember to um be in the moment today like just today i had an interview and he had lost his tooth and he came running into the room to show (laughs) me his tooth in the middle of my interview and i was laughing because you know but that's the moments that i'm here for that's what of course you know i could have like gone crazy and been upset but actually you know this is a huge thing for him like he lost his tooth he's absolutely And I want to be the mother that's happy about that as well. So it's like balancing all of that. Um, You know, if you're an achievement-oriented person, it's hard, but you can do it. And that's actually what makes a life worth living. 
Sure. And you're just determined to do it and you're making it a point to be that way, to be present with him and enjoy every minute. And that's that's really awesome. How old is your son now, Nicole? He's, he'll tell you the, he's six and a half. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that half is very big deal. Anyway. Very big so, deal. Yeah, he's almost seven years old. And um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, he's definitely becoming his own person and he's a person that I enjoy. Right. So I want to, I want to cultivate that in him and be the kind of mother that also sets the example. Well, I never thought I was going to be a father and I ended up being a father. That was a surprise both to my wife and myself. And uh, (laughs) so it's been an absolute joy having him and just watching him as he's grown and changed and moved along. And he just turned 16. So yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's been really an amazing journey watching him. And, And really, just like you say, it's about being present. It's about allowing yourself to enjoy those moments that are important to him and being a good listener and just being, you know, right there and aware of what's going on in his life. So I I love that you're doing that. Now, back in 2015, and you alluded to this before, you were experiencing some real health challenges yourself and you were diagnosed with a disease. And wow, it sounds like this really turned your whole life around, your perspective about life and death. Tell us about this experience. Yeah. So during 2014, I started to suspect something was wrong. I Mm -hmm. I can't even tell you, like, I don't, I couldn't tell you exactly what made me suspect it. Um, But this is something that I would encourage everybody to think about is that your body tells you. Right. And you need to know enough to listen. Um, And I didn't know enough to listen. I sort of knew it, but I was like not really doing anything about it. And partly it was because I was um, too busy to worry about it, right? And and to the idea that something might be wrong was something that was going to slow me down, and I wasn't really willing to do that. But um, it got to a point where I was pretty clear something was wrong, and and yet my doctor wasn't taking me seriously. Um, This is really a problem for a lot of women specifically is an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just went on and on. And then finally... um, in January of 2015, and plus I looked completely healthy. Like this is a really important thing for people to understand. Like I, and I looked healthy now I looked healthy then I didn't look like I was sick. Right. So in 2015, I sat down on the couch on one snowy Sunday in January. And I just remember being like, I can't get up. Like I just couldn't move anymore. My husband was like, what is wrong with you? Because that's not me. Like I'm a very energetic human. Yes. And, um, And he's like, this is not right. So he was like, I'm going to take you, you know, let's, so we started debating about what we were going to do because it was Sunday and he knew that I wanted to go back to work the next day. And, um, also the thing was, is that my, I, I, he knew I didn't want to talk to my doctor anymore because I had lost trust in my doctor at that point. So the long story short is that we ended up going to an urgent care And I got an x-ray of my chest and it showed that my entire left lung was full of fluid. So I had been walking around probably for weeks at that point with a whole lung full of fluid and it just finally took its toll. So I was operating with just using one lung Um, and it finally took its toll. And so we, the, they sent me to the hospital and, um, you know, this is sort of a funny thing because I got to the hospital and they actually put a needle in my back. It's called a thoracentesis and they 
sucked the fluid out. And I felt so much better right at that moment that I was like, okay, I'm ready to go home now. And they were like, oh no, you're not going home. So it was funny because like looking at it now, I can laugh and be like, what was I thinking? Like, did I really yeah. think that I could go home? But like, you know, your, your power of your mind is so powerful that yes. like, I really believed that I probably could go home. Yes. I mean, it's so crazy, you know, and to think about it now. So um, anyway, I was in the hospital and I spent almost 30 days in the hospital from that moment. And um, it was a, a massive issue. I got diagnosed with a rare lung disease. It's considered fatal. It's called lymphangiolyomyomatosis. It's 26 letters, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, it changed my life once again. Wow. So if it's fatal, how are you still here talking about it then? Well, it's considered, you know, one of the things is, of course, um, medicine. Yeah. I have the type of the iteration of the disease that I have is very respondent to a specific type of medicine. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I'm on it and I, that's how I manage it. Um, but also I really believe on a lot of levels that your mental state is a big indicator of your physical health. Um, so I just made it a point over the last several years to be mentally healthy and emotionally healthy so that my body can be healthy. Um, and that's a big deal. I, you know, I see it all the time. Even as a lawyer, I see clients that hang on and hang on and hang on mm. and with life. And then I see people that look fine and die quickly. And I know because I know these people's scenarios that it's very much related to where they are mentally. Um, so I have taken that to heart as well. And that's, um, you know, I have to be mentally positive, mentally um, hopeful, mentally in a space of gratitude and of mindfulness, right? To mm -hmm. be able to retain and encourage my physical health. And so today, um, you know, I would say that if you saw me, if you knew me, if you talked to me, nobody would ever guess that I'm carrying around this crazy disease in me. Um, and I don't live my life as if I do. I see. Do you, do you then continue to get fluid on your lung? Do you have to have that drained off from time to time? No, not any longer because the medication that I take holds okay. it at bay. Um, and I am, you know, I'm very careful about making sure that I pay attention to those things, right. but the medication. So, you know, I just have to hope that the medication continues to work sure. for me and that it doesn't, um, you know, stop. And that's one of the things that like, you know, modern medicine, once again, yeah. you don't know. And when you have a rare disease, particularly, you know, you're lucky if you even have a treatment. I'm very lucky that I do. Right. You talked about gratitude and remaining positive and you know, that, that is so true that we have to do that, but sometimes it just seems almost impossible. How do you maintain that? So, um, I, you know, it's so funny, just this last weekend, I was at a mastermind group and the idea is that maybe you can't be positive all the time, but you can be in a state of appreciation. So you can appreciate the fact that you have eyes that can see and you can have appreciate the fact that you have legs that can help you stand and you can appreciate the fact that you have a roof over your head. So um, even if you can't be in a state of actual gratitude or in a state of actual positivity, you can be in a state of appreciation. Um, and so all of the, is sort of the, the, you know, the continuum yes. of how we can be. And any one of those is much better than being in a state of negativity, of despair, of, right? And we all know this, I think everybody understands that. 
But um, Earl Nightingale, you know, a very famous self-help guru says, you become what you think about. For sure. And, um, you know, I take that to heart. I, I want to become what I think about and I want to think about things that make me become the person that I want to be. Absolutely. I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time and I found that, you know, the way we think about that topic can really influence you know, how we move forward. Were you ever bullied? Did you ever experience bullying in business or as a child? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I experienced bullying as a child, definitely. Um, <laughs> in fact, I, I, you know, when I was in high school, my freshman year of high school, I literally had to get in fist fights to protect myself from bullies in my really? school. Oh, yeah. And um, it's funny, you think about girls mm -hmm. doing that kind of thing. And it's it's a real thing. Like I used to get in literal fistfights because I had to. I didn't have a choice. Either I got beat or I engaged. Or you stood up for yourself. Yeah, I had to. Um, and that was what I had to do. I will say for me, that was something that made me stronger. But um, that was... I, you know, that, that can be a very big source of despair. I don't recognize, recommend like letting that be the place that makes you stronger is from the place of bullying. Right. For sure. And then of course in business, you know, um, I, I will tell you that in my niche, in my market, I'm the only woman. Um, I definitely have other competitors that would much prefer to beat me down in business. Um, but one of the things that I've really done to avoid that is I just do not pay attention to my competition. You know, so many people in business, they'll tell you, you know, pay attention to what your competition's doing. Um, I actually find that that's for multiple reasons, not good business advice. I don't pay attention to my competition. I don't pay attention to what they're doing, what they're saying. And I just run my business in a way that works for myself and my team. And by doing that, we've actually done very well, been extremely successful. And then I don't worry about those things. Right. That sounds like great advice. Now, I want to move forward, uh, Nicole, by asking you five quick answer questions. So we'll just zoom right through these. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness in your life? So there is a guy, his name is Joel Weldon, and he is a like he's has all the top speaker awards. He's like the only person that's ever had all of them. He's 70 some years old right now. And this is a guy, he is 70 some years old. He water skis every day still. He is the most positive human being I've ever met in my life. Kind, gentle, giving. Um, and just a person that I really um, look up to because he's still in business. He's still engaged so much in life. I, I just love that guy. And um, I want to be more like him as I grow up. Wow. Impressive. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Nicole? Um, so definitely as I'm, I'm prone to anxiety, just as I think a lot of people are, but mindfulness has really enabled me to conquer that, um, to be able to take a step back and allow myself to just get out of that mo mode. You've had all these lung problems and challenges with your health, but how has breathing affected your mindfulness? How is breathing a part of staying mindful for you in your life? Oh my gosh. I couldn't tell you more about how important breathing is. I mean, um, breath is life. 
so, you know, if you don't understand that, then that's just a one-on-one. So breathing is huge. Um, and I do yogic breathing um, to increase the capacity and health of my lungs, but I also do it for my mindful state. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? So it's an old book, but I love this book. It's called Letting Go, The Pathway of Surrender. And it's by a man called David Hawkins. And okay. I just love that book. It's a classic book for um, anybody to read. I, I highly recommend it. And letting go. Wow. That's such a powerful concept and not always easy to no. easy to figure out. If you could share an app which helps you or maybe it helps some of your clients, what would that be? For mindfulness? An app? Yes. Yeah. Related so, to mindfulness. Um, I actually use an app that is a sound app. Okay. And um, it's called, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to pull it up right now. No problem. It's called Brainwave. Okay. And it's a binaural kind of um, program. And I love it because it really helps calm your mind when you need to or put you in the right. It's, it's just a tool to help engage your mind in the right way. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Nicole, I know your book is a huge help to those experiencing, you know, challenges as they move forward with elder care and, and wills and planning and all that kind of thing. How can we get your book? How can we learn more about what you do and connect with you, Nicole? So you can find my book on Amazon. It's Dear Mom and Dad, Help Me Help You. And you can find that easily there. Um, you can connect with me on any type of social media. I'm on all places, LinkedIn, Twitter, just, you know, you type in my name, you'll find me. Okay. And so very easy to connect with me. Great. Okay, Nicole. And your website, what is your website called? Because I know that you have a, a very great website. So for my law practice, my website is Family and Aging Law Center. It's MI, like Michigan, estatelawyer.com. Um, but I can also be found at NicoleWhip.com. So you that's for my other company. So I actually run two companies. That's for my other company. You can find me there. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and for all the work you do with people who are, you know, facing those kinds of challenges with elder care. So it's my pleasure to have you with us here on Mindfulness Mode, Nicole. Thank you so much, Bruce. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. All the best. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.